Hello friends, welcome to Beyond the News. It's the last day of March in 2023. Coming up on today's show, clips with Russell Brand talking to Dr Graham Hancock. Going to be talking about some of the ULIS responses that the British public have been going on. A talk from another Member of Parliament, not Doctor, um, not Andrew Bridgen this time, but Sir Christopher Chope talking about vaccine adverse reactions. Also, we're going to be featuring some videos from Jordan Peterson. That oh, and uh, another special look at uh, Noho Harari from the uh, WEF. That and much, much more coming up on today's show. So, let's begin with something that I didn't talk about in those headlines and that's been going all over Facebook and there's been a variety of rumours about what is and isn't happening. I'm going to read this straight from the government's own website, www.gov.uk. So the UK government there for international listeners. About emergency alerts. On Sunday the 23rd April 2023, there will be a national test of the UK Emergency Alert Service. Emergency Alerts is a UK government service that will warn you if there's a danger to life nearby. In an emergency, your mobile phone or tablet will receive an alert with advice about how to stay safe. I'm almost tempted to jump in there with my view on that, but I'll just continue reading, give it a view in a minute. The government does not need to know your phone number or location to send you an alert. You may get alerts about severe flooding, fires, extreme weather. Emergency alerts will only be sent by the emergency services, government departments, agencies and public bodies that deal with emergencies. What happens when you get an emergency alert? Your mobile phone or tablet may make a loud siren-like sound, even if it's set on silent. Vibrate. Read out the alert. The sound and vibration will last for about 10 seconds. An alert will include a phone number or a link to the gov.uk website for more information. You'll get alerts based on your current location, not where you live or work. You do not need to turn on location services to receive alerts. What you need to do. When you get an alert, stop what you're doing and follow the instructions in the alert. If you're driving or riding when you get an alert, you should not read or otherwise respond to an emergency alert whilst driving or riding a motorcycle. If you are driving, you should continue to drive and not respond to the noise or attempt to pick up the mobile phone and deal with the message. Find somewhere safe and legal to stop before reading the message. If there is nowhere safe or legal to stop close by and nobody else is in the vehicle to read the alert, tune in to live radio and wait for bulletins until you can find somewhere safe and legal to stop. It is illegal to use a handheld device while driving or riding. If you cannot receive emergency alerts, if you do not have a compatible device, you'll still be informed about an emergency. The emergency services will have other ways to warn you where there is a threat to life. Emergency alerts will not replace local news, radio, television or social media. If you're deaf, hard of hearing, blind or partially sighted. If you have a vision or hearing impairment, audio or vibration attention signals will let you know you have an emergency alert. Alert languages. Emergency alerts will be sent in English. In Wales, they may also be sent in Welsh. Right, so let's break this down. Let's start with what it doesn't say, but I has been a rumour that I've seen flying around the internet. And honestly, uh, I have no idea. Uh, I'm just reading exactly what's on the government website. No more, no less, and then giving you a, an opinion on it. What it doesn't say is that you're going to be locked out of your phone if you don't um, acknowledge it or anything like that. That's been a rumour that I've seen flying around on Facebook, but I see absolutely nothing here on that. 
so we shall see to see if that's the case now let's go down about what it is reasons you might get alert so right. oh here we go let's let's do this bit first the government does not need to know your phone number or location to send you an alert <laughs> you might as well just add the sentence because we already know all of that and anyone that's ever studied mobile phones or the small print you know all this stuff where it's um you know where you say whatever whether it's uh, siri or alexa or anything like that and then you do the sentence well it must always be on and listening in order for it to respond to the you know original siri or alexa i've had people say oh no it only comes on when you ask it to well how does it know that it's you're asking it if it's not already listening do you see the logic in that chicken and egg situation that one can be figured out easier than the chicken and egg next you may get alerts about severe flooding fires extreme weather yes well it will be like that to begin with i'm sure i'm sure that, there, that when this is rolled out there'll be a nice media campaign behind it um, and there'll be genuine there'll be genuine stories where as a result of the emergency alert someone's life was saved in one of those situations um, severe flooding fires or extreme weather i'm sure that will genuinely be the case and that'll be you know i'm only alive because of the emergency alert system and that'll be shoved down your throat on all the media stations uh, emergency alerts will only be sent by yeah uh, let's skip that bit what happens when you get an emergency alert so um maybe like a sound like sound even if it's set on silent so let's just look at that right well doesn't matter if you've put your phone on silent we can just turn your phone silent mode off whenever we choose to do this so know that that technology is existing as well um the alert so you 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 get alerts based on your current location so again 24 7 tracking in your mobile phone but how did you not know that that was the case if you've got gps on your phone so all those phone sat navs and all that kind of stuff how do you think they're going to work without constantly knowing where you are no oh, what you need to do when you get an alert stop what you're doing and follow the instructions in the alert so it's a massive government game of simon says with simon being the government yeah yeah don't don't question it don't go all have the government pretty much whenever there there is an emergency do their actions you know make it worse is this a government that really cares about me let's consider defunding of the nhs oh we've got a story about that coming up later the defunding of the nhs um or the you know let's call it the crisis rather than defunding yeah, the crisis of the nhs grenfell i mean they they really responded to that so quickly and um got all uh, passed laws to make certain that never happened again didn't they yes they love you government loves you so um yeah it doesn't say oh stop what stop what you're doing and ask yourself does government care about me and even if i come to the conclusion that it does has their response in the past been good ideas so then for example lockdown need i tell you about the sweden florida dakotas situations again go back and listen to my other podcast again uh, for for more breakdowns on that and um right i'll tell you what we'll do for covid then to combat the virus we'll give you a vaccine that doesn't stop transmission and we've seen the 
um, numbers of people in the emergency wards who've had the vaccine and who haven't. So uh, it doesn't seem, let's just say it doesn't seem to be uh, do any good. I think there's an argument to say the opposite, but let's just agree that it doesn't do any good. So what we'll do is, and for the kids as well, we'll ignore the JCVI ruling and uh, the original one that, that before they uh, changed it. We'll ignore the JCVI ruling. And even though there is negligible zero risk to children, we'll insist that the children are jabbed to save them from a virus with a 99% plus survival rate. Yeah, this is the same government sending you these alerts. So, um, yeah, massive game of Simon Says. What it doesn't say is stop and evaluate the situation and ask, does this seem to be a good idea to follow these instructions? No, 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 do as you're told. Do as you're told. So um, then it's all the stuff about you don't respond to it whilst driving. Actually, makes sense i can't really complain about that i think it's about a thousand pound fine so at least they're not advising you to to do that and see if they can make a quick grand off the back of it i was only answering the alert well, i know thanks for answering that it's grand now thank you so to be fair that particular passage i've got no real problem with and it is a bad idea to mess around mobile devices while you're driving so i've got no real criticism of that uh, paragraph to be fair to them um, if you cannot receive emergency cards, if you do not have a compatible device, you'll still be informed about the emergency. So this is basically, I think, did I draw, did I mention it last week? This is good news. This is them going, they're not listening to the mainstream media anymore. How are we going to make them scared? Contact them directly on their phone. They may not watch the mainstream media, but they never go anywhere without their mobile phones. We'll do it there or then. And the rest about if you're deaf, hard of hearing, I've got no problems with them. Um, what they've got there so um there's a youtube video there and i watched it and that doesn't seem to say anything about switching a mobile phone off automatically if you don't respond to it so that's my take on that um i'm just gonna assume that all that that is uh within that is what is said and we shall see if there are any problems with people getting on their mobile devices for those that have not uh, chosen to um, allow these updates onto their mobile phone. We'll see what happens, won't we? That'll be interesting. So my thoughts on where this goes from here are twofold. One, when does government ever ask you or tell you to do something without some kind of consequence for you not so let's see what happens because this has been shared on social media by people who i've never known them to be even remotely interested in conspiracy type stuff but i see a few people sharing it going uh what do you make of this i think there's um you know for anyone that studied event 201 and then a few months later oh coronavirus outbreak for anyone that looks at that, you can't help but think, oh, why are they bringing all these emergency alerts in now? We've had mobile phone technology for ages. Um, we've, you know, why now? This this technology could have been done, I don't know, I wouldn't say, it couldn't have been done without GPS in the phones. 
So, but but that's been around what? How, many, how long have you been able to download a sat nav into your mobile phone? It's got to be at least ten years, isn't it? I mean, I'm not a tech expert, but a good thing you get my point. Why now? You know. So, is it going to be an event 0201? Oh, we're going to train for an outbreak of coronavirus. A couple of months later, oh look, there's an outbreak of the coronavirus. <laughs> just a coincidence. No problem, just a total coincidence. What happens with this one then? Why now is the, the first thought on that. And like I said, what happens if you don't? When have you ever known government to say, do as we tell you? What's the consequence if not? Oh, nothing. Hmm. Time will tell. I Like I said, I think you're going to see that be used for some genuine good to begin with and all that genuine good plastered all over the television. I do think this is setting a few sort of, you know, pardon the pun, emergency alerts off in people's brains who aren't necessarily conspiracy minded because I just think a lot of them are going... Why now, after all this time? So let's uh, let's stay tuned. And if anyone is locked out of their mobile phone device when they don't want this, uh, wouldn't it be far more likely for them to do some kind of, rather than switch your mobile phone off like the rumour is going around, wouldn't it be far more likely them down the line to just say, right, it's fine now. And if they did that, wouldn't that lead to quite a few people getting off of these devices and going back to more old school stuff? Would these alerts come on on like your old school old school phones from like, you know, 20 years ago? That kind of stuff. I honestly don't know. I'd be interested to speak to an expert on the situation. And of course, that's going to make a lot of mobile phone companies lose a bit of revenue. But... The majority are just going to go, I I can't live without my smartphone anymore. It's just I'm I'm on it 24-7. If I have to put up with these emergency alerts, I will. Because I just, I need, I need my dopamine hit from my likes on Facebook and Instagram. You know, however am I going to keep up with what's going on in the world if I can't scroll on social media? You know, whatever am I going to do when I'm out and about? I'm not gonna. I can't talk to people. Oh, no, I've got to be on my phone. So we're going to see what happens uh, on that one. But I did want to draw out that point out. I should say that a lot of people, especially in the conspiracy movement, have been mentioning that uh, whole mobile phone being switched off thing. I haven't seen any evidence for it, and it's not nothing's mentioned about it on either the government form or on the YouTube video contained within the government form. So. We shall see. We shall see. Next up. Here. This is from the Telegraph. Vaccine injury scheme ramps up staff as claims over COVID jabs keep growing. Admin workers scaled up from 4 to 80 as claimants say the process takes too long and does not pay out enough. That's by Lizzie Roberts and Claire Newell from the 24th of March of this year. And it's a Telegraph, so can't read any uh, can't read any further on that as is their right to charge what they like for their product. Daily Mail. Exclusive. Revenge of the Drivers. Yuli's cameras are covered over with bags and boxes in guerrilla war against hated scheme. Yuli's zone will be expanded to cover nearly all of London this year. Drivers are angry they will be charged 
a £12.50 daily fee for polluting cars by Matt Powell. On the 26th of March, opponents of London's ULIS expansion have launched a guerrilla war against the very cameras that will be used to police the controversial scheme. Shopping bags and cardboard boxes have started to appear over the automatic number plate recognition cameras set up by Transport for London across the capital. More than 300 ANPR devices have been recently installed, with a total of 2,750 are due to be added in time for the official ULIS expansion launch date on August 29th later this year. A box placed over a camera by one vigilante has was... Um, I'll read that again. A box placed over a camera by one vigilante was had the word... I'm reading it as it says. By one vigilante was had the words stop electing idiots printed on its side. Uh, the scheme aims to reduce air pollution in London and drivers whose cars do not meet minimum emission standards are t- charged a £12.50 daily fee for entering the zone. But it has been revealed that the Met Police and British Transport Police will have access to the cameras for crime-fighting purposes, sparking privacy fears from campaigners. The ULES is just one of the range of measures introduced while Sadiq Khan has been London Mayor. Other green schemes include the many lower traffic neighbourhoods. Our guest last week, Laura King, was talking about them, or LTNs. That blocks traffic moving through back roads and the rollout of miles of cycle lanes throughout the city. Critics say London Mayor Sadiq Khan's decision to expand the zone to cover the majority of land within the M25 unfairly targets the poor, and many have taken to social media to applaud vandals who have been covering the cameras. So let's just scroll down to the best rated, worst rated things. Let's have a little look here. Oh, no, it's decided to go on to an advert because it just won't stay still. Endless adverts. Right. <laughs> it's done it again. Right. Stay still. Best rated. Here we are. Up. 6715, down 97. Well done to those who are covering these cameras. This is real democracy. That's from someone in Edinburgh, United Kingdom. Uh, the comments below have not been moderated. Uh, I've got a comment on that. Uh, no, it isn't. Real democracy is not engaging in what they call criminal or um, criminal or vandalistic behaviour or anything like that. It is banding together, doing away with the major parties and voting for a party that says this is absolute nonsense. I will not put up with this any further and then going further and really educating the entire public on what this scheme could potentially be used for, not just revenue collection. That's real democracy. Real democracy is not allowing your politicians to turn you into a criminal or vandal. It is getting rid of them in a peaceful, lawful manner and then possibly opening up investigations as to who or what companies and bodies may have vested interests in this scheme. That's real democracy. So let's move down there now. So just to be clear, I am 100% against Yulis. But it's so lazy to put a shopping bag over a camera. 
you need to get out, hit the streets, educate people. And if you get any of that um, stuff back about it needs to be for the environment, you need to really talk and have a look about what the facts about the climate really are. You need to say, right, you know, I can, un- I can I can actually understand, you know, the pollution aspects of it, but perhaps go and talk about, well, there have been all these alternative energy makers and cars that, you know, produce water and all that kind of stuff. But all their inventors seem to meet with accidents over the years. Let's investigate that. Let's bring up, let's vote for a politician that's going to investigate those kind of things in those areas or one that's going to invest in those areas and bring it into the mainstream market and do it so in such a way that you can't clip everybody. So, um, next comment, up 5152, down 58. People power. If everyone did this, it would speak volumes. One man made this happen, say no. Again, it's the late, throwing a shopping bag over it is the lazy way of doing it. You need to speak to people, open people's minds. Right, what are your concerns about the environment? How would this do this? Who are the vested interests investing in this? Where's this money going? Who's Who are the, the, the major power players that Sadiq Khan has been hanging out with? Why is this happening with LTNs all over different parts of the UK? That's the hard way of doing it. And once you do that, they can never put a scheme through because all they have to do then is just take the the, the paper, the, you know, the shopping bag or whatever it is from off of the camera and it's still up and running. Once you get into people's minds, this is a really bad idea and you will never, ever vote for anyone that passes it, no matter what colour they are wearing, red, blue, yellow, green, or any other political parties. We, If you do this, we will never vote for you. We are not loyal voters. We are floating voters. We will vote on policy and not personality. We will never vote for this or any party that ever tries to introduce it. That's the hard route, but it's the one that gets things done permanently, peacefully and lawfully. All right, let's have another look at the one. Up 4392, down 44. Finally, a form of fighting back. Well done to those of us. So you see where this is going. It's the Star Wars analogy. Look, if you take the easy path, dark side. I don't know. I don't remember the script that well, but you get where I'm going it, you know. If you take the easy route like Vader did, evil is he. Yeah. Blah, 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 blah. Anyway, I think yeah, I think I've made my point on that one. Um, up three, four, six, seven, down forty-four. Well done. It's an infringement of our freedoms and free movements to go about our daily business. Um, get away with the words "well done," and I'll agree with that statement. It is an infringement of our freedom and free movement to go about our daily business. But I think you know the solution that I'm advocating for here. All right. Next one up here from the Guardian now. Uh, right. The professor trying to protect our private thoughts from technology. Edward Helmore, Sunday the 26th of March. Professor Nita Farahani argues in her book The Battle for Your Brain that intrusions into the mind are so close that lawmakers should enact protections. 
Private thoughts may not be private for much longer, heralding a nightmarish world where political views, thoughts, stray obsessions and feelings could be integrated and punished all th thanks to advances in neurotechnology. Or at least that is what one of the world's leading ethicists of neuroscience believes. In a new book, The Battle for Your Brain, Duke University Bioscience Professor Nita Fahani argues that such intrusions into the human mind by technology are so close that public discussion is long overdue and lawmakers should immediately establish brain protections as it would for any other area of personal liberty. Oh yes, Oh, personal liberty is stood up for so much in the Western world, isn't it? Advances in hacking and trafficking, uh, sorry, tracking thoughts with Orwellian fears of mind control running just below the surface is the subject to Fahani's scholarship alongside urgent calls for legislative guarantees to thought privacy, including freedoms from cognitive fingerprinting that lie within an area of ethics broadly termed cognitive liberty. So, as you can see... Um, we ain't in the 20th century no more and these technologies what's being developed in these labs it, a lot of the public just wouldn't even believe until it's released and then if it is released they could just be told oh no it's for your own good oh it's a good thing then you know just like oh in these texts, Matt Hancock said he wanted to release a new variant to scare people into complying with lockdowns when the evidence already suggested they were a bad idea. Oh. Oh, that's awful. What's the score on a football? So let's uh, move on from that one. So uh, just continuing uh, along that theme now. We're going to be listening to a video from Dr. Jordan Peterson for a few minutes. In Canada, Google attempted to collude with the Ontario government to, to make the new port development in Toronto into a smart city. And a, a person I know well who knows more about technological issues and issues of potential technological control, probably than anybody I've ever talked to in the world, more or less fought that to a standstill so that Google didn't get their hands on the port development in Canada. And his primary concern was that what essentially wanted was all the data that would be generated as a consequence of constant monitoring of absolutely everything that went on in the smart city because that data is part of the extended digital self and has tremendous commercial value because if I can track you and all your purchases and where you're going and where you are I can target you for marketing in a way that's been unheard of up, up until now. Or emergency alerts. That's a huge can of worms and in any case that didn't happen in Canada but now, it, it's reminiscent to me as well uh, to, of what's happening in the UK, most particularly in Oxford and Cambridge, in relationship to the 15-minute cities. Now, the 15-minute cities are put forward as a solution to the problem of undue distance to travel. And so the idea is that wouldn't it be lovely if we had walkable neighborhoods where everything you needed was within easy reach? And, you know, I have some sympathy for that because I've gone to monoculture suburbs, let's say, that are nothing but row upon row upon row of identical houses with no churches and no bars and no community centers and 
you know, the shopping centers at a distance, and that doesn't look like an optimal urban model. But I looked into the C40 websites. The C40 is the consortium of municipalities that have signed on to the 15-minute city plan. And I read in their own documentation, this is relevant to the uh, tri-state city idea, that their goals are to reduce caloric caloric consumption to 2,500 calories a day by, by force, essentially, within the next 15 years, to ensure that the peasant class, which is everybody but the elitists, can't fly more than one time every three years, to not merely shift private car ownership from fossil fuel to electric, which is fundamentally impossible because the grid can't handle it, but to eliminate 90% of, of private car ownership so that people are forced to take you know, unbelievably expensive in terms of time utilization and non-existent public transportation systems and to limit the amount of travel that people can do outside of their neighborhoods. And, you know, I find, and then I watch the legacy media claim that pointing that out is something akin to a right-wing conspiracy, which it most certainly isn't, because you can just find the bloody documentation online. And then I look at places like China, which have taken this to an extreme, 400, 600 million closed-circuit TV cameras in China one for every one and a half persons watching the Chinese all the time, able to monitor them 100% by face and also to identify them by gate and, and to limit their ability to do absolutely anything, to buy, to sell, to travel, to move, to leave their neighborhood with this top-down surveillance system that perversely and consciously the, some of the Chinese engineers have actually named Skynet and in a conscious attempt to produce a positive version of, you know, the absolutely catastrophic, apocalyptic artificial intelligence that was in the bloody Arnold Schwarzenegger movies. And you can't even talk about this stuff without sounding like a raving conspiratorialist, but, but there it is. Now, tell me more about the tri-state city. So what have you seen? Because I don't know anything about it, neither does anybody else watching, I presume, except for, you know, those who've gone down the rabbit hole with you. Uh, I was reading a book about cholera a couple of years ago. I think it was called Ghost Map. And, uh, and interestingly, towards the end of the book, he, the, the author in an otherwise excellent book started talking about these smart cities where, you know, basically everything, we don't have to worry about any disease anymore, that sort of thing. Last time I was in China, uh, you know, I got kicked out of Hong Kong in 2020. I was a bad boy. Uh, I was watching the protest and they finally kicked me out after seven months. But that was Hong Kong. But when I was, the last time I was in mainland China, I was actually uh, researching information more. I was in places like Nanjing and Shanghai and that sort of thing. But I was in southern China uh, where the Uyghurs are uh, at, for part of that trip. And I, I was talking with restaurant owners and farmers and that sort of thing. And the restaurant, various restaurant owners told me that when a Uyghur comes in, they are mandated by law to call the police immediately. The police immediately come to check. So the smart city goes beyond mere optics. You know, they're installing those cameras all over Hong Kong. They were doing it that when I left, that's in Hong Kong. But over in mainland China, it's not just the cameras everywhere. It's also, you know, you're mandated to call. When I was in Hong Kong, by the way, in the protest, the, the, the protesters would take their lasers and shine them in the cameras and, and burn out the sensors. Actually, my camera got a little damaged by it. And, but, you know, that's not a long-term solution, obviously. But the, the, what I'm getting to is these smart cities are clearly coming, and they're already here to some degree every time we use our cards and that sort of thing. But they're clearly taking it to a higher level of complete control. And again, they, this isn't conspiratorial. They say they're going to do it. 
I mean, talk about Mark Rutte, the prime minister of Netherlands. You can see Klaus Schwab going, where do you find such prime ministers as Mark Rutte? You know, did you see him say, I, I, I watch your Twitter, uh, Jordan, and I, and I watch a lot of your uh, podcast. I know you know what's going on because you talk about it all the time. So, uh, speaking of uh, Mr. Schwab, here's one of... Oh, oh, there we are. Sorry about that. Right. So uh, the ads come on at YouTube at the uh, end as well as the beginning. Right. So speaking of uh, Klaus Schwab and the WEF, um, there's a little video now of uh, it contains, I believe it's that Pfizer bloke whose name eludes me. And he's talking with the World Economic Forum in the backdrop to begin with. And then some more of our old pal on this show, Noah Harari, is going to let let you let let you all know what he really thinks of you. The first week we met in January of nineteen in California and to set up the goals for the next five years. And one of them was by twenty twenty three we will reduce the number of people in the world that cannot afford our medicines by fifty percent. I think today this dream is becoming Again, I think that the biggest question, in, in maybe in economics and politics of the coming decades, will be what to do with all these useless people when they are basically meaningless, worthless. We are no longer mysterious souls. We are now hackable animals. The emergence of a new upgraded elite of superhumans enhanced by bioengineering and brain-computer interfaces and things like that. A new, massive, useless class. A class that has no military or economic usefulness and therefore also no political power. What a lovely chap. So, next up, let's have, um, here we are, something a little bit different now. This is from two days ago by the BBC. Ultra-massive black hole discovered by Durham astronomers. Let's go on and read what it says. It says, in that black hole, we have found what happened to the British taxpayers' money for its track and trace scheme millions and the PPA equipment contracts. No, no, it doesn't really say that. That's a joke. Uh, what it says, it is a joke, isn't it? All those millions of pounds on the uh, PPE and the uh, track and trace. Weren't they spent to good use? But no money for hospitals, though. Uh, and we're going to uh, talk about that in just uh, a second with our next article. So astronomers say they have found one of the universe's largest black holes to date using a new technique. Scientists at Durham University discovered the ultra-massive black hole by observing its pull on passing light called gravitational lensing. Dr. James Nightingale, who led the study, said he even struggled to comprehend how big this thing is. Again, he's talking about the black hole, not the amount of British taxpayer money that was wasted. Right then, so uh, let's go on now to an article from Skydercom. This is for the new listener that I had, uh, singular, <laughs> the new listener that... Uh, reached out to me uh, if you want to contact me as well you can do so at beyond the news at protonmail.com and um yeah a big thanks to uh, new listeners have actually been seeing a reasonable uptick in the downloads of uh, 
things that I can see the numbers on and uh, been getting some uh, actually not feedback just um, just I've I've seen uh, this podcast's um, replays going out on Radio Illumini getting some nice reviews from people who I have no idea who they are so um, you know my uh, views on that the moment you start reaching a wider audience is when you start to get criticism nasty comments all that kind of stuff can't wait because that means it is really reaching a much wider audience if no one is complaining about you then you're not reaching a wide enough audience so these uh, at the moment i'm seeing all those good comments that's what usually happens you see some good comments in a couple of months if we continue to grow and continue to get more listens from the podcast then that um, those people calling you every name under the sun will bound to come and what a joy that day will be because you know you're reaching a wider audience then i look forward to it um and i don't even read any of it that's the, that's the funny thing <laughs> oh so oh, someone's calling me all the names superb bring out the champagne we are reaching a wider audience and not only reaching a wider audience but we are reaching the audience that needs to hear it and um because everyone that's you know people are starting to ask questions why would they not do so having watched the mainstream media for the last three years how could you not but there are a number of people and it's they don't want to uh, question their belief system they just want their current belief system to reiterate what they believe to be is true is true there's no way they would want to think that they have been massively conned on a variety of subjects and it really helps those mentalities to massively have a go at anyone that's attacking their narrative because um, they're on team mainstream media and um, if they just keep on that team sooner or later they're going to win and all of the people that have been questioning mainstream media will be wrong those vaccines will be safe and effective those lockdowns won't have caused all those suicides. Um, Sweden wouldn't have had um, the exact same death rate as the rest of the world and not locking down with any of the repercussions at all. If they just call you enough names, then that's going to be the case. If they just call you enough names, there's going to be enough people that just like their comment and they can go, I've said something horrible and it's got some likes. I'm not the only one. I am right. Though when that day happens, um, it will be a very, very happy day for me. And I'll just read the first line. And I'll be, That's my first negative comment. The people that need to hear this are hearing it. And they're getting upset. <laughs> happy days. What's that? Da, 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 happy days. Da, 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 happy days. I don't know the words, I'm afraid. Sorry. A little bit before my time, that one. But uh, I will be like the Fonzie. Cool. Won't even be responding to it. I will be happy. And um, see, insults are an interesting thing, uh, in my opinion. I have observed, and I've had a quite a good chance to observe over the years. I've been insulted many times. <laughs> For me, an insult is an opportunity to look inside the psychology of the mind of the insulter. Let me explain. I have noticed that people tend to insult people with words that hurt them. 
So the, that's the logic. Someone called me that name. It hurt me. So I'm going to use it on someone else. So when you, if you can sit back, remain calm and listen to the insults, you'll actually get a reasonably good psychological profile of what that person's most afraid of, most of being afraid called of, what's been hurt by in the most. So it's, uh, don't, don't uh, just sit there as an opportunity to just, oh, that's what upsets you. Oh, that's what's got to you. And often you can then, you know, not always, because, you know, some insults are deserved, some are not. But you can often then be able to go, oh, you, you've heard that one, you've heard that one. Oh, I think you're the sort of person that does that sort of stuff. So um, if you just remain calm, those insults are often a good way to, to figure out what really gets under those people's skin, because that's why they're saying it to you. It bothered them and they want to bother you. Um. And the uh, the other thing about insults online and that sort of stuff is um, people um, well they'll, they'll say stuff like um, no one believes you you're a crazy person you're the only one that thinks that all that kind of stuff and you'll be able to say ah oh, so you're someone who values the herd. You're someone who wants to be part of the crowd because it upsets you to think that you're not. Therefore, you're using that insult to others. And so you can actually say, ah, you, you are someone who willfully does not want to risk their neck reputation by thinking outside of the box. You want the safety of the herd, whether the herd is right or not. And so uh, that's what those those people are. That's what the a booing or jeering or that kind of stuff. All of us don't like you and we're going to boo and jeer because we want to be popular <laughs> and booing and jeering would upset us. Yeah. Well, I've had a career as a comedian. You can figure out how <laughs> I figured that one out. But um, remember, these people are our fellow human beings. They need our help. They need our love and they need our patience. And uh, because every year that goes by, more and more people start to go, hang on. Does government really like me? Does government, is government really interested in my health? I, is mainstream media really accurate? Is it telling me the truth? And if you've lost your temper with people, insulted people call them names back on social media they're unlikely to be able to you know well what's more likely you know if who are they more likely to open a link from someone that's been calling them every name under the sun or someone that's just taken the gandhi approach one of my heroes by the way mr gandhi taking the gandhi approach and just okay you're not ready to hear this yet i'll be patient with you until you are because we're all one species, regardless of race, religion, colour, creed, sexual orientation or um, gender. And um, there's a group of people in this world, small group of people, that don't particularly like any of us, regardless of what we are. And so we all need to come together, point out these people exist, what their agendas are, and peacefully and lawfully vote for people who aren't on that team. That's my view on it anyway. So here's the next article here is um, culture of silence as NHS staff are scared to report problems fearing repercussions. 
This one's from a new listener. Yeah, know who you are. The majority of NHS workers who contacted a whistleblowing charity say they faced retaliation after speaking up at work, with one describing the situation as Orwellian. By Matthew Thompson on Sunday the 29th of January. So health workers are afraid of speaking out about the NHS crisis for fear of repercussions, according to dozens of people who contacted Sky News. At the start of the year, we set up an email address for people to write in with their stories from the front line of the NHS. Hundreds of people responded, but many of them said the same thing. The staff can see the problems in the NHS, and some of them are such easy wins, yet the moment anyone suggests anything or, heaven forbid, raises a complaint, then their career is finished. So we all keep quiet wrote one paramedic. Please keep me anonymous as I'm scared of repercussions. Nurses are always under fear of speaking out, said a nurse in the northwest of England. Other organisations paint a similar picture, protect a whistleblowing charity, analysed calls to their helpline in the last year and told us that 92 NHS workers who made contact, 77% reported retaliation or detrimental treatment as a result of speaking up. A third, 33%, said they were either dismissed or felt they had to resign after raising concerns. The culture of silence within the NHS has been long recognised as a problem. If you are an NHS worker and would like to share your experiences with us anonymously, please email NHS stories at sky.co.uk. I'm going to just read that out letter for letter. NHS STORIES at sky.uk. So remember that when the emergency system is there and the government says, We want to help you, we love you. We want to protect you. We, your government, we really care about you. Remember that, that they haven't just put the NHS into this state of crisis. They're retaliating, at least in 77%, um, according to the... Oh, this is an article for uh, Sky News. They're retaliating at those that are pointing out that it's in a crisis. So they're putting in a crisis and silencing those that are trying to warn that it's in a crisis. And this is our health institute. So the thing that keeps people healthy, they've run into the ground, and they're silencing people who are talking out and how you could potentially improve the thing that keeps our health up and around. And big thank you to all our doctors and nurses. And they're running that into the ground and silencing them. Remember that when you get your emergency alert and ask yourself, how much does my government really care about my health? Next up now. So let's um, let's go to Dr. John Campbell. And he is uh, showing you a speech by Sir Christopher Chope. Hello and welcome to this talk. It's Wednesday the 29th of March now. Last Friday, on the 24th of March, Sir Christopher Chope, one of the members of Parliament in the United Kingdom, gave a speech to the UK Parliament, but uh, two Conservative MPs attended, three Conservative MPs attended, and no one from the opposition uh, attended. Now, we did see recently that there was an MP called uh, Andrew Mitchell, who appeared to be uh, dismissing, appeared to be dismissing, shooing away two opposition MPs from uh, a speech that was about to be given by uh, Mr. Andrew Bridgen. So it looks like, it looked like, 
Of course, I don't know, but it looked like there was some conspiracy for no one to listen to any speeches that go against the the uh, the, the current narrative, shall we say. So I want to give this time to, uh, to, to Sir Christopher Choke. First, let me show you the pictures of who was in the house at the time. Well, here we see Sir Christopher Chope giving his speech, and this is Andrew Bridgen. These two on the front are the ministerial team, so they don't count, and there's two Conservative MPs there have stayed to listen. No one else on the Conservative benches, all completely uh, empty. I consider this to be a boycott type of situation. The opposition benches, completely empty, no one from Labour, no one from the Liberal Democrats, no one from the Scottish Nationalists. Just what is going on here? But we do remember that in the previous video we looked at with Andrew Bridgen, we had this chap, uh, Andrew Mitchell, who seemed to be sending away these two Liberal Democrat MPs, who of course are on the opposite side of the uh, the parliamentary divide, allegedly. Uh, now, we don't know what uh, Andrew Mitchell said to these MPs, of course, but uh, after he talked to them, they both got up and uh, left. So does look a bit like a boycott but absolutely incredible uh, empty house for sir christopher chope but if the mps don't want to listen maybe you and i do so let's listen to his speech uh, now this debate is about the application of the vaccine damage payments act 1979 to those who have been bereaved or suffered adverse reactions from covid19 vaccines the Act was extended to apply to such vaccines before they were rolled out, but it is now abundantly clear that the Act is totally inadequate for addressing the needs of most of those who have been adversely affected by those vaccines. On Wednesday this week, the Prime Minister told my right honourable friend for rugby and Kenilworth that, and I quote, we are taking steps to reform vaccine damage payment schemes by modernising the operations and providing more timely outcomes. The Prime Minister did not answer or even refer to my right honourable friend's requests that the government should, one, change the £120,000 maximum payment for those seriously injured, and two, end the denial of any payment to those disabled by less than 60%. And this was despite the Prime Minister having received notice of my right honourable friend's question and the fact that both he and I had raised the same points with the Secretary of State for Health weeks ago. My honourable friend give way. Of course I will. I thank my honourable friend for giving way and commend him for his work on this issue. Has my honourable friend had time to consider the paper produced this week from the Western U Norway University of Applied Science, which found a strongly significant correlation between COVID-19 vaccine uptake in 2021 and excess deaths in the first nine months of 2022 across the European Union and the European Economic Area. In fact, the correlation was so strong that they could, they could state that for every 1% increase in vaccination rates in 2021, there was a 0.1% increase in mortality in 2022. I, I thank my honourable friend for, for that intervention. And I did notice uh, that document because it was drawn to my attention by my honourable friend. But can I suggest to my honourable friend that he tries to engage the good offices of our right honourable friend, uh, who is the chair of the Select Committee on Science and Technology, who I'm delighted to see in his place this afternoon, because I know that this issue is close to his heart as well. So the Minister confirmed to me earlier that uh, the government's answer 
to both those questions, which my right honourable friend put to the Prime Minister, is actually no. And it's rather sad that that's so, and it's, uh, it's very regrettable, I think, Mr Deputy Speaker, that the Prime Minister didn't actually put that on the record uh, him, himself. This month, we have already discussed in this House the scandals surrounding the supply of contaminated blood and the false imprisonment of postmasters under the Horizon project. In both cases, after long resistance, the government was eventually forced into accepting compensation schemes. If the government is interested in tackling the developing scandal over COVID-19 vaccine damage victims, it can and must act now. I fear, however, that it has no will so to do, because it is still in denial about the whole issue. Why do I, do I use that expression? Because at a meeting on the 21st of April last year, I asked the then vaccines minister, the member for Erewash, whether she accepted that some people had died as a direct result of having received a COVID-19 vaccination. She declined to answer the, meeting, uh, the, the, the question at the meeting and said that she would write to me. Um, she didn't do so, so I then had to put down a parliamentary question, um, and this was a parliamentary question 2325, uh, and the minister ducked that question. So I asked the same question again to uh, my honourable friend, the minister, bearing in mind that we now know that more than 50 coroner's verdicts have confirmed just this, as that people have died as a direct result of COVID-19 vaccines, and also that her own department has been making awards under the 1979 Act to families which have been bereaved on the basis that their loved ones also died as a direct result. So will the government unequivocally say today that it does accept that some people have died as a direct result of having received a COVID-19 vaccination. Wasn't it bizarre that all the Prime Minister could say on Wednesday when told about Jamie Scott spending four weeks in a coma and remaining seriously disabled as a result of a COVID vaccination was that he, and I quote, he was sorry to hear about the case. Then in an extraordinary non sequitur, the Prime Minister added, in the extremely rare case of a potential injury from a vaccine covered by the scheme, a one-off payment can be awarded. Yet Jamie Scott's injury is not a potential injury, but a real and substantial one. Nor was it caused by any old vaccine, but by a new experimental COVID vaccine. Sadly, Jamie Scott's case is not unique. I have received hundreds of distressing letters and emails from both victims and bereaved relatives who are desperate for the government and the NHS to listen. Several are from my own constituency. And I quote briefly now from one which I received on the 18th of March from a 24-year-old previously employed with a good job in financial services. He had a Pfizer vaccine booster in February 22 and says, within days of the dose, I started experiencing nasty symptoms that resembled those of an autoimmune disease. The symptoms include nausea, headaches, skin rashes, and other immune issues. 
Despite numerous doctor's visits, blood tests, x-rays, stomach scans and medicinal prescriptions, doctors have been unable to help these symptoms at all. The symptoms have worsened with time and I've been unable to work over the past seven months or so. I've been unable to receive any disability benefits and have been left to use my entire life savings to fund my food and bills. An expert rheumatologist has now confirmed the link between my constituent symptoms and the Pfizer vaccine. And my constituent asks me, and I in turn ask the minister this afternoon, will the government admit that there are cases where these vaccines have caused reactions in people and promise to provide further support and research funding for how these conditions can be managed and hopefully resolved? My constituent is but one of so many who have suffered and continue to suffer because they did the right thing on the advice of the government and they received their jabs. The Daily Express, which is the first mainstream newspaper to really start giving this issue some publicity, uh, began its crusade for justice for jab victims with uh, four pages uh, in last week's newspaper. On the 15th of March, its leading article entitled Injection of Faith Needed spoke for many when it said, we must take care of the small number of people who suffered side effects as a result of their jabs. Innocent people who have suffered terribly must not be denied the damages they deserve. This is a matter of justice. The situation currently, Mr Deputy Speaker, is that there are over 4,000 claims which have been made under the 1979 Act. Uh, over the past, past five months, new claims have been running at the rate of 250 uh, per month. 2,800 claims remain outstanding, and only a, a surprisingly and disturbingly small number have so far uh, been uh, successful. I shall now try to shame the government into action by contrasting their head-in-the-sand approach to vaccine-damaged victims with what is happening in Germany. On the 12th of March, Professor Dr. Karl Lutebeck, Germany's Federal Minister for Health, gave a disarmingly candid interview to the German TV news channel ZDF. The minister is a scientist and physician of note and previously been Professor of Health Economics and Epidemiology at the Universities of Cologne and Harvard. And as the advisor to Chancellor Merkel, as she then was, at the beginning of the COVID pandemic, uh, he took a very hard line and publicly said on numerous occasions that the vaccines must be taken and that they were, I quote, without side effects. So that's where yeah, I'll leave Sir Christopher Chope. Just uh, before I go, I haven't got to half the stuff that I wanted to get to here today. But just before I go, uh, on that um, the video of the, uh, the Pfizer bloke and the WEF and everything, you, where we, that Pfizer guy said, oh, we're going to reduce the number of people that can't afford our medicines by 50%. You could take that to mean that he's going to reduce uh, the cost of his products to make it more available to all. You could 
uh, do that. And the second thought on Noah Harari is, do you think he gets invited to that many parties outside of this Davos and WEF lot? Do you imagine there's people, who should we invite to our housewarming party, love? Oh, I'll invite my mate Noah. Yeah, you know the one. The one that thinks the vast majority of the people on this planet are utterly useless, um, no value whatsoever, and he spends most of his days thinking about how they're hackable animals and what to do with them uh, because they're not needed anymore. Yeah, invite him. He's a real people person. No, anyway, that uh, brings us to the end of another Beyond the News. Thanks very much for listening.